Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Hello, everybody. This is Sandy, and I am the Chief Love Officer at Last First Date. I am the Confidence, Communication, and Love Coach for Women Over 40, and every week I love bringing you cutting-edge authors, experts, coaches, matchmakers, people who can teach you how to have a healthy, lasting relationship so you can go on your last first date, especially if you are over 40. And today, I am honored to be speaking with author Larry Bellata about how to keep the chaos and the wrong people out of your life. We're going to bring him on in just a moment, but I want to just say that in my 10 years as a life and dating coach, what I have come to know for sure is that if you can identify and heal the unhealthy patterns that you have from your past, and most of us have them, if you can then honor and value all the parts of yourself, especially the parts that people told you were too much or not enough, and this is really important because everybody's telling us we're too much or not enough of something, you're going to transform your life and your love life, and you're going to become the woman of value who attracts in toe-curling epic love. I know some men listen to this show, so... I don't think the men should become women of value, but um, if you're a woman and you want to become a woman of value, and these tips actually apply to men too, if you want to value yourself, which I think everybody should, um, I share a tip every week about valuing yourself, and this week's tip is to love yourself first. It's step number three in my 30 steps. And why do we need to love ourselves first? Um, Lucille Ball actually said it. Um, you have to love yourself first. I mean, tons of people have said it. And and our self-love is not, you know, self-aggrandization. It's not selfish. It's It's really taking care of ourselves and learning how to meet our own needs. Um, to identify what our needs are and uh, and be able to express those needs and wants to a partner, but also really to honor them for ourselves first. So if you know you need a certain amount of sleep and you're consistently giving it up because you want to please somebody else, that's not loving yourself first. Um, if you know that certain foods make you happy and you eat those foods on a consistent basis, that's loving yourself first. So you take care of yourself and you're going to make everybody around you happy. Um, a couple more tips before I bring on Larry. And one is I always let people know about my Facebook group. Many people have joined by listening to this podcast. So if you're not yet a member and you are a woman over 40 and you want to join a group that is positive and supportive, always interesting and very well managed, unlike a lot of other large groups, uh, it's called Your Last First Date on Facebook. Please join us. We would love to have you. And I want to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Audible, audibletrial.com forward slash last first date, and you'll get a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. So that's audibletrial.com forward slash last first date. And now for our guest, Larry Bellata. He was married over 40 years, 43 years, in an age where Larry just said to me, it's like a miracle. <laughs> Everybody is divorced. 
He is the leading authority on understanding people, marriage, and relationships. And for 27 years, he lived in a marriage made in hell, and those are his words. But in the 28th year, he fell in love with his wife. Today, after transforming his own marriage, Larry holds the key to bringing a marriage back from the brink of divorce, even after the papers were filed. So join me now for episode number 293, How to Keep the Wrong People Out of Your Life. Welcome, Larry. Well, Fanny, great to have uh, the opportunity to be here. I was looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to hearing, first of all, how you brought your marriage back from the brink of divorce, um, and then we'll get into the topic. But I think it's it's uh, it's a fascinating thing in this day of, of people abandoning relationships so quickly. Um, you know, I love the title of your uh, your last first date. I love that title. Mm. Your last Thank first you. date. Who doesn't want the last first date? Everybody right? wants that. And. Uh, you know what? Uh, what I learned in my 27 years of hell, uh, and by the way, um, I went into hell when they impeached Nixon. I came out when they elected the second Bush. So that's how long this hell was. <laughs> that's a long hell. So, yes, it was. And the and the reason why it was hell is because I did not know what was happening to me or why it was happening. So that 27 years was me learning pieces and bits and and. Uh, uh, and, and by the way, what, what made it hell is Marsha and I are absolutely opposites in, in virtually every way you can count. And because we're opposites, so, you know, when you start out in your 20s and you're very immature, uh, you don't understand anything other than yourself and the way you're programmed. And so she's programmed in a completely different way than I am. And so she was fighting for her programming while she was trying to rip my programming out of me because she believed it was bad. So my parents programmed me badly, and so she was going to rip it out by force. She was going to force me to change into her value system. So does that sound familiar? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we all do to each other. We all want to program, and we all want to rip the programs out of the other person and make them live according to our programs. And, and, and by the way, they call it a value system. But that's really what it is. I, I call it the invisible lifestyle. It's uh, and lifestyle is uh, the definition is a way of life or a style of living that reflects the values of a person or group. That's what lifestyle is. And so the invisible lifestyle is the value system that's programmed into you in childhood, in those first ten years when your brain is forming. And so when you come into your adult life, you know, you're carrying those in your subconscious mind. You don't know what they are. They're just so much a part of you. You just can't even, you know, barely recognize them or identify them. Uh, but when they're offended, boy, you know it. And you don't know exactly why you're offended, but that's what's offending you. The, this person is literally stepping on your parents' value system. Uh, like in a really troubled relationship, uh, when it gets to being angry at each other, uh, the famous phrase, you're just like your mother, you're just like your father, uh, is shouted at the other spouse. Uh, and what they're saying is you're the worst of your mother. You're the worst of your father. That's really what they're saying. And so mm-hmm. nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear I'm the worst of my First of all, they don't want to hear you're like your mother. They don't want to hear that. Or you're like your father. They, they, they don't want to hear anything that that's, that's critical. But what the, the other spouse does is they look at the value system you came from, they look at the, the worst of it, and they say you're just like your mother as a condemnation. So uh, Marsha and I had that for a long, long time. 
and uh, and that's what made it hell is her value system was clashing with mine and because we were clashing and and uh, i was in a lot of a lot of pain uh with you know marcia is a very very strong-willed woman and i'm very soft-hearted so uh, it was no contest, you know. She was like a kamikaze on her last mission, you know. She's she'll go down with the, down with the plane, you know. Uh, so I, I'm not a fighter. I don't want to be a fighter, and she was a really good fighter. So we were just like, just it was just so horrendous. I don't, could barely like people say, well, why didn't you run away? That's what we do. We run away. Well, why couldn't mm-hmm. I run away? Why couldn't she run away? Because we were both programmed by our parents to stay married and miserable. That is a program. You stay married, you stay miserable. It's not anything you can control. Once it has you, you have to stay in a miserable marriage because the program says stay married, stay miserable. So our parents stayed married, they stayed miserable. And so when we got married, sure enough, we couldn't escape. We couldn't get away because the program literally held us in place. So um, a a lot of uh, uh, what this 27 years was, it was just a me searching for answers. Why was I so searching, so motivated? Because I was in so much pain. When you're in a lot of pain, you're really ready. To, it's a perfect place to learn when you're in pain. And so you want to do something constructive, and you want to dig, and you want to find the answers. And so that's what I was doing. I was searching through all the vast knowledge of human, the human race to try and find answers because Marsha uh-huh. was making me so miserable. So that's what the 27 years of hell was about. The end of the 27 years, when they elected the second Bush, was me coming out of that and seeing something that I really never saw before, is that I was learning to accept just what you were saying. You you accept yourself as you are. And so what I was realizing is Marcia was threatened by my value system, and that's what was making her angry. That was her way of dealing with it, because it turns out in her childhood that's the way her parents dealt with things. They got angry. My parents avoided everything. They were great avoiders. And so I'm an avoider, and she's a confronter. Well, mm-hmm. you know, do you want to you want to get into a your last first date? You want to <laughs> find out if you're programmed to be a confronter or an avoider, because typically avoiders attract confronters. Confronters attract avoiders. And when you're dating and you're under the oxytocin and the dopamine of the of the love drugs, you know that the National Geographic love issue of 19 what was it, 1995, I think it was, uh, they exp- the, the article explained how the, the chemicals literally blind you so you can't ask hard questions. Like, how were you programmed in your childhood? Because when you marry somebody, when you begin into an intimate relationship, you move in together. What, co- what comes out of that relationship in the day-to-day is the programming of your childhood. And if mm-hmm. we think of a scale of 10 being the best emotional place to grow up and zero being the worst. If you're raised anywhere between five and zero, you're literally carrying all of the pain of your first 10 years. It's what I call a chaos kid. So you're raised in a chaos of abandonment or abuse or neglect. And there's both physical and then there's, there's, a, there's a mental or verbal. And so whatever you had in abandonment, abuse, or neglect – you're literally magnetized to the person who has matching childhood pain. And when you get near somebody who's carrying the same kind of magnetized, you're magnetized to the same childhood pain, and you don't, obviously none of this is, is conscious, but you're attracted to that person. And when that pain matches, 
the chemistry turns on. Oxytocin, dopamine, endorphins, they turn on. And when that happens, boom, you're in love. You're attracted and you're in love. And when you're in love, all of the dark ugliness of your childhood disappears. <laughs> it all goes away. Uh-huh. And, and now you're governed by these love chemicals, which are perfect, perfectly temporary. And you're being drawn together, and you believe the grand lie. And this is what I call the grand, the grand lie, is if I feel this way now, I'll feel this way forever. That's the grand lie. Now, why is that the grand lie? Because it's, a, it's an absolutely not true statement. If I feel this way now, if I'm governed by these love chemicals, I'm going to have these love chemicals all my life. No, you're not. Because what happens is after you get into a routine, the love chemicals start to fall apart. And when they fall apart, what they leave behind is your original programming. And the programming starts to come stronger and stronger. And I've seen this pattern. I've done over 1,600 one-hour interviews over a period of six years with people in troubled marriages. And I discovered a series of patterns. And one of those patterns is that when you are uh, in the 35 to 45 world in that range, the pain of your childhood gets so strong, it can literally take over your personality and turn you into a person who enters a midlife crisis. It's not midlife, it's midlife crisis. And what is the crisis exactly? It is the personality of the worst of your programmers coming in your intimate relationship and literally taking you over, knocking you out, putting you in a daze, and taking over your face, voice, muscles, and body. And when you're there, you're what I call program-possessed. It could last 10 minutes, a half a day, a full day, and during that whole time, you're really not awake. And that's actually what destroys intimacy. Intimacy is I trust you and I enjoy you. And what program possession does is it comes and destroys I trust you and I enjoy you. And so if we have two people literally going between program possession, they're bouncing between program possessions. And uh, if you look at it, if you're program possessed once a month, 12 times a year, and your spouse is program possessed 12, 12 times a year, that's 24 times a year that your intimacy is being pounded and crushed. And I've done this in these interviews. I've asked, where are you now? And I trust you and I enjoy you. And their scores typically on a 10 to 0 scale is their 4, 3, 0. That really low score. They have no trust. They have no intimacy. It's gone. Where did it go? Well, it was killed by program possession. And the thing about program possession, it's the thief that you cannot see. You can't find program possession. It literally strikes from your subconscious mind takes you over in a, in a very short period of time uh, it just destroys intimacy and it's not you it's really not you at all it's you being possessed by what happened to you in childhood and it's a, a, an astounding phenomenon program possession people hate talking about it it's very very unpopular nobody wants to repeat the program possession they're like gosh i have free will i can choose not when you're program possessed you can't choose and I've seen it over and over again. People who are in a lot of pain, they have to realize, wow, I really was program possessed. So if we yeah, get to the subject of the last first date, um, right? and I lay that out there as the background of the last first date. Yeah, I mean, this is all, you know, it's all fascinating. I think a lot of people are not awake. Um, a lot of people have no concept as to how their upbringing affected their choices. Even many people go out looking for the opposite of their parents 
Um, yes. They, I Very mean, I did that. Yes. I thought, well, so so what happens is, uh, so like in my case, I thought I needed the opposite of my father. You know, I thought I had it mm-hmm. all figured out. Uh, didn't work for my mother, so this this is what I need, <laughs> and. Uh, and I ended up marrying somebody who actually was very much like my father in the end. But I was listening to someone talk about this today, that if you, let's say, you had a lot of screaming and yelling at your in your home, like I did and many other people have poor communication in, in your childhood home, so you go out looking for somebody who's calm, like somebody who doesn't scream. But that person also may be somebody who doesn't speak at all. <laughs> you know, who yes, who holds right. stuff in, right? So so that's the the kind of the um the dynamic that you were describing of you and your wife, you know, one who spoke up and one who was a, who was a of conflict avoider. Um so you know you are you, you, talking you're talking about um uh you went looking for consciously looking for somebody opposite of. Um mm-hmm. can can we talk about uh an interview question? when you're on a first date <laughs> or uh-huh. second date. Sure. Um, here's an interview question. When you consider all of your life successes, how much do you credit to your mom and dad? That's a great mm. first, second date interview question. I like that. And, uh, and here's how to interpret it. Uh, so let's say the question again. When you consider all of your life successes, how much do you credit to your mom and dad? Now, when you ask the word or ask the question and end up on the word dad, you want to count to three seconds, as in one one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand. And why you're counting for three seconds is because it's very important how long it takes that person to answer the question. Because if you get to three seconds and you still don't have an answer, that's a bad sign. And every second that goes beyond three seconds, the signs get worse. And the reason it does is because when you ask that powerful question, that person is saying, ooh, I didn't have a very good mom and dad. Ooh, what am I going to say? i gotta, I got to adjust my answer somehow. <laughs> See, that's what's doing it. Mm-hmm. What's happening is that person is literally covering for what happened because they don't want to look bad on their first date. So they have to tell a story and they have to adjust the story. And when you go beyond three seconds, that's a bad sign because that person mm-hmm. is altering the story. And they don't know what else to do. Now, when a person answers literally within a second or two seconds, what they're saying is, go, oh, my mom and dad, oh, they, they, were, they were both, uh, I, I don't know, I owe them everything. See, that answer needs to come out really fast. Because mm-hmm. when it comes really fast, it's real. When it takes mm-hmm. longer than three seconds, it's not real. It's right. now the published brochure story. It's not a real story. And so not not that the person's lying. That person just doesn't know what to do with this powerful question. Right. And so when you when you when you count the three seconds and they got more, they've got longer than three seconds that they answer. Anything they say afterwards is probably a distortion. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to say it's a lie. I just want to say it's a distortion of what's true. Yeah, so people distort all the time in dating. And I, I, what I find is fascinating is that if you really pay attention, even on a first phone call before you even meet, the things that people choose to, to share tell you so much about that person. And often they think they're so sharing true. things that make <laughs> them look really good. Like I call it yeah. the hero story. 
You know, uh-huh. I've been on dates where a man is telling me this story about how amazing he is that he was able to do this for his ex-wife, and meanwhile he's coming across as completely controlling. Um, <laughs> the, the way he tells his story, it's like his wife is his daughter, and he put rules on her and had a curfew for her. And I'm like, okay, thanks for sharing all that with me. <laughs> but I think, you know, I think through that distorted lens, a lot of people do think they're sharing the best of their story and it's often the worst so it's it's important to pay attention to how people say it to how long it takes them to answer and asking about childhood i agree with you 100 percent that we have to find out like what would you know what tell me about your relationship with your siblings growing up you, what was your yes, life like and the, the reason we the reason we want to ask the 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 and the interview question is because we want to know the future how do you mm-hmm. know the future you can't know the future by what a person consciously tells you. That doesn't tell you the future. What tells you the future is the more you know about those first 10 years, the more you know the future. Because program possession, when it comes, it's going to be the truth. It's going to be the real thing that happened to them in childhood. And in those interviews, and in all those interviews I did, it was over and over and over again that when people were program possessed, out came the worst of their mother or the worst of their father. That's what came out of Mm -hmm. them. Not because they wanted it to, but because they had to, because it was a program possession. It was not something they wanted to do. So then when you really are, what you're doing is you're saying, listen, I want to know what you're really carrying around in there. Uh, what's, What's in there? What's in your subconscious? And they could say, well, I don't know what's in my subconscious. I don't even remember my childhood, which is a huge glaring uh-huh. warning sign. <laughs> I don't yes. remember my childhood. It was one of the worst things you could hear. <laughs> I know. I completely blocked that out. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Okay. I see that with clients. I mean, they really have blocked memories, and it's a survival skill. Like when you have terrible trauma, your survival instincts will, will kick exactly. in and say, like, hey, let's just forget about that one. But when you're program-possessed in an intimate relationship, that thing you forgot is coming. It's coming out. Yes, it's going to come, come back, on you. Right. <laughs> yes, it's going to come on does. you, and you're not going to like it. Yep, yep. And, and the, you know, when I was talking about the, the matching of, um, like, so let's take a match. Um, uh, she has abandonment energy, and he has abandonment energy. She was abandoned, and he was abandoned in their childhoods. Now, abandonment is kind of a weird thing. Latchkey kids, those are abandoned children. And that's the, they don't think of it, I was, I was abandoned. But you are. You're abandoned when you're a latchkey because you, you're alone in the house. And there's nobody there for you when you need somebody there for you. So mm-hmm. that's abandonment. And there's lots of different kinds of abandonment. So what happens is when you get around somebody and you're abandoned in your childhood and he was abandoned in his, now there's a match. And what's going to happen now? Well, there's two forms of abandonment. The first form is I'm going to monitor you and watch you so you don't abandon me. So it's very controlling, that abandonment energy. The second form is I'm going to abandon you before you abandon me. So Mm -hmm. no matter which version of abandonment, there's going to be trouble in that relationship because abandonment energy isn't touched, not understood, and it's still sitting down there in your subconscious. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to come out. If you want to know your future, you've got to know the 10 years. And the way you know the 10 years is with a really truthful question, like when you consider all your successes in life, 
how much would you credit to your mom and dad? And if, if that answer comes out uh, as a stumbling uh, four, eight, ten-second answer, uh, that person is burying all kinds of, of, of dark things which are going to come out in your intimate relationship. They're going to come for you, absolutely going to come for you. Uh, there's Sounds no like getting out of it. <laughs> yeah, so it what, is. What it's a lot like done it. the work? Like you've done the work on yourself, and you have grown up with, with you know poor role models, and you've had damage done, but you've but you've healed. You know you've done a lot of therapy, and you've done a lot of coaching or whatever. Um, so somebody asks me that question, I might say, I um, a lot of my success was through my own volition. You know I was really driven, and I've had to forge my own path. So so now let's talk about the really aware person. So you asked the, the mm-hmm. question, uh, the really aware person. Um, I have an alcoholic uh, mother. I have a gambling father. Uh, they had their addictions, and, um, and so so that's that's my my uh, my childhood pain and a lot of abandonment mm-hmm. in that story. So uh, right. so when you when you consider your success in life, what do you credit to your mom and dad? And I say, well, I credit them for giving me a lot of painful uh, memories that forced me to learn. And uh, uh-huh. and I'm in the learning process and it's uh, it's a very dramatic and long learning process. <laughs> but I've discovered uh-huh. a lot of things. A lot of things. Uh it it's uh, it's made me not a free a totally free person. In other words, I don't completely have free will. I can still be program possessed. Uh but what I believe is I'm wake upable. So if you tell me uh you're being program possessed, that will literally catch my attention and I will wake up from the nightmare <laughs> and I will yeah. go back to being who I really am. So uh, well, if I, if I, I would be able, I'd be able to say, if I was aware, if I was aware, I could Right. If somebody said to me, I'm wake upable, that would be a really positive thing. I, I, I think too many people are, this is who I am. This is how I'm always going to be, and you know, <laughs> and so it's just like, okay, thanks for that information, and uh, bye bye. So, um, so Sandy, you think about you. Uh, when you think about your your way of life, uh, your sensitivities are very very high. I mean, you're doing the show. Your awareness is very high. Your sensitivities are very high. Uh, right. It, it, you'd have to have a really uh, awake, aware person before you would not have all kinds of red buzzers going off. <laughs> right. right, he'd have to have insomnia of some sort. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> he hasn't and, slept in five years, he's totally awake. Um, no, it's true, I have pretty high bar <laughs> because I'm, yeah. I am so completely attuned. Um, and I also really, you know, can, can connect with people on a human-to-human level and, and recognize when somebody is a wake-up-a-bowl because... Um, it's not, I mean, I still have work to do. We all have work to do. And if we're not continuing to grow, basically we're dead. So um, I think it's important to always be on a path. And, um, but in in our last few minutes, I want to focus a little bit on the healing part because you went from that midlife crisis and 27 years of hell to waking up and, and healing. So what was your process, if you can share that with us, so that listeners can begin their own healing and waking up? Uh, I believe, this This is my, my take on it, um, the thing that the world calls the little voice inside your head, uh, the psychology community calls ego, uh, whatever the name is, uh, 
it's a very destructive force in humanity. And that force uh, that, uh, by the way, I, I gave it a name and a face. I call it Freddy from Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> and so <laughs> the, reason, and the reason I did is because when you have a name and a face to the enemy, you now can separate yourself from the enemy. And so if mm-hmm. you know that there is a Freddy in you, and you are not Freddy, and Freddy is not you, and you start to separate, well, that's my Freddy talking. Now I have a name and a face to the enemy. Now I know that it's not me. I am not Freddy. Freddy is not me. This separation is a really powerful first step to start to see that I'm good and Freddy is not. And everything that's ever been written about the ego slash mm-hmm. Freddy has been negative and destructive. It's what causes the human race so much pain. That source, that Freddy in our lives, is what creates all the suffering in health, in money, in relationships. And if that's the source, we want to really get tuned in to what is Freddy? What is he? Where is he? How does he work? That is the big focus. And I've had a lot of success in helping people in my Environment Changer program, and one of the first focuses I have is to find the Freddy and get him off your ship. Mm-hmm. Like I, I like to separate uh, the analogy of the person is the ship, the cruise ship, and there's a rat on the ship. <laughs> and the rat <laughs> is Freddy, and you are the ship. You're good, and the rat is not. <laughs> and I like that analogy yeah. because it separates the person who is good from the rat mm-hmm. that is not good. And that is I the most that. important thing to self-awareness is realizing I'm not my Freddy, my Freddy is not me. Yeah, and I that's, mean, in all the that's, a, that's a healing thing. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful analogy, and uh, it's actually where I'm. I just am working with my coaching group this week on limiting beliefs and and the gremlin that takes over those negative voices in our heads that that can destroy ourselves and our relationships. And the first step is really noticing and naming. Um, yeah, there's so many great tools for this, and I think that when, when we stop becoming it, realize that we're not it, then we can bring up our best selves and rise up and, and be fully awake. <laughs> um, you know, if, if, we, if we use the ship, the ship analogy, if you're the ship, you have a great ship, you've got ice sculptures, beautiful buffets, workout rooms, <laughs> swimming pool, dance floor, <laughs> you've, got a, you've got a wonderful ship. But if a rat came onto the deck, you'd have a lot of trouble on your hands. Because mm-hmm. all the customers on the ship would be terrified that there'd be more rats, right? Yep. So now, now you realize the rat is the problem. You are not the problem. Your ship is not the problem because you are the ship. But your rat is the problem. Because if a rat showed up on deck, boy, you'd have business problems. So you don't want the rat on your ship. And the idea that you can remove a rat from a ship is a very liberating idea. Mm-hmm. Because it feels good, like, I, I oh, yeah, it. the rat doesn't belong on the ship. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing before we go is that um, one of the things I learned about the saboteur, the gremlin, or the rat, or the Freddy from Nightmare on Elm Street, is that it, it's not something that we can completely eradicate. It's something that we can tame and we can um, we can certainly suppress. But I, I don't believe that it's ever fully not with us. That's right, um, and it's and not I, supposed to be. It's not supposed to be. Right. Uh, but the idea right. you that you can... throw it overboard and it's gone. Th- that's right. <laughs> Just wanted so, to clear but, that up. 
But what you want is you want to be able to have a rat exhibit where your rats are in the cage and you control mm. the rat. When the rat's uh-huh. out of the cage, now you've got trouble. And the rat doesn't belong out of the cage. The rat belongs in the cage as an exhibit. Now, if it does, that's really good because now people will say, hey, when you're on the ship, you have to check out the rat exhibit. <laughs> so, so now we realize our rat needs to get into the cage into a controllable place. Yeah, and you, you put and, it down into its smallness and into its, yes. you know, that it can't control And that's where you your, that's where your freedom really is. Your freedom is in, in rat control, not rat's release. <laughs> that's the name of your next book. Your freedom is in rat control. <laughs> rat control. That's what I've become. Uh, I've become is, a rat control expert. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think it's a great analogy, and I think that if, if everybody became rat controllers, we'd have a much better world, Larry. So thank you yeah. so much for sharing right, uh, your wisdom thank with you. us today. Um, tell our audience how they can find you and uh, whatever goodies you have for them. Um, if you uh, go to uh, youcansavethismarriage.com, uh, that's pretty much where all my world is. <laughs> so if you want okay. anything, uh, Larry Bellotta leads. Also, if you enter <laughs> Larry Bellotta into YouTube, I have a lot of free videos on YouTube. Okay. So you can go to your YouTube channel. Uh, and you can go to youcansavethismarriage.com. Um, so thank you so much, Larry, and keep doing right. your fabulous uh, rat extermination work. And, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Andy. And saving marriages. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, right. for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of Last First Date Radio, please head over to iTunes and rate us and review us and subscribe to our show. That's how we thrive. And I hope everybody goes on their last first date very soon. Have a great day.